Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. We're picking up the story of Habakkuk in uh, chapter 1 and verse 12 this morning. Short book, a lot of meaning. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught up in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate. Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says how he will answer my complaint. So we uh, started off, just a brief recap if you haven't been with us, we started off the story of Habakkuk uh, with his background. So he is at a time in Israel when they have had bad king after bad king, then a good king, and for a short while things were really good. And the good king, Josiah, had, uh, had led them well, he'd led them back to God, He'd restored the temple and found the book of the the Lord, which was the Old Testament book of, we believe, of Deuteronomy. And so when he found it, he brought it out and he had it read in public. And people cried and wailed and, and mourned because they hadn't been following God's word. They hadn't been following God and really acting as the people of God. And so things had been good for a while. But then Josiah had gone into battle and been struck down, and now his son was put on the throne as a puppet king for the, uh, for the Egyptians. And so things have gone right back to worshiping other idols and people treating each other horribly. Innocent people are killed, and the courts do nothing about it, and there's no justice. And so Habakkuk brings his complaint, his, his prophecy, his oracle is the word that they use, which is, means burden. So it's like God has burdened him with this message. He's given Habakkuk eyes to see how bad things are and and what is wrong and what should be that isn't. And so Habakkuk looks around, he feels the weight of all the sins of his people, and he says, how long is this going to happen? And God, why do I have to look at this? And then we had God's response. God replied to Habakkuk, And he doesn't say what Habakkuk is expecting. In fact, he says to Habakkuk, I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe if someone told you. And he says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. Look around at the nations. Like like Habakkuk says, why do I have to look at all the evil in my own nation here in Israel? 
and God says, look further than that. Look at all the nations. There's a lot of evil out there. And in fact, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And he describes the Babylonians, and they're horrible people. They're, they're running roughshod over the whole world. And he says they don't respect kings or anybody else. They're just going to hurt people. They're violent. They don't care about anyone but themselves. He says they're deeply evil. And so that's God's words. So now we get Habakkuk's next line of, of defense. So he turns back to God and he says, Lord, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you don't plan to wipe us out. You don't plan to wipe us out. We will not die, some translations put it. Lord, our rock, you've sent this ba these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you're pure. You can't stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? And then he lists all these questions. Should we... Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And that encaptures his problem. He goes, look, I raised the problem of evil around me in Israel, and I wanted you to do something about it, God. But now i got a deeper problem, a bigger problem. You say you're going to deal with the evil, and, and, and yeah, I, I get that you're trying to punish us, but, but the guys you're raising up to punish us, they're worse than our nation. Those guys are even more evil. Now I got a bigger problem. I thought it was unjust for people to treat each other the way they're treating each other in Israel, but these guys take evil to a whole new level. You just going to let them do it? Like, we deserve the punishment. Our nation deserves the punishment, but they're even worse than we are. And so he grapples with that. When I first bought my my first really good mountain bike I was really excited I did all the research and I got one with uh, you know with the the disc brakes so you can stop on a dime in the rain and it had it had shocks and it had the lockout for the shocks so you could ride on on stable road or if you could open it up if you're going down those bouncy trails and it was a great bike it was really light and it was strong and and I took it on some adventures. But I remember when I went to buy that bike, I was talking to the guy at the shop and trying to get some information from him. And he was a real bike guy. And so he was telling me, though, I thought, I'm spending way more on this bike than I've ever spent before. Like, this thing is, is uh, I found it on sale for 700 bucks. But I thought, that's a lot to pay for a bike. And maybe I'm just old. Some of you maybe got bikes more expensive than that. And some people are going, you're crazy. Why would you spend 750 for a bike? You can get them at Canadian Tire for a couple hundred bucks. But I, I, I did the research. I thought it was a great bike. I was going to really enjoy riding it. But when I went in to pick it up, the guy says to me, yeah, it's kind of entry level for these kind of bikes. Like this is, the, this is the bottom of the line for those. And he starts telling me about his bike and, and how much he spent on his bike. And suddenly 729 bucks didn't seem like a whole lot of money. He spent thousands of dollars on his bike. And I'll never forget, he said to me, what kind of car do you drive? He said, I, I drive a Toyota. And uh, I can't afford a BMW or a Cadillac or any of those, you know, top tier kind of cars. But I can ride the bike equivalent. I can't afford the best when it comes to cars. But I can afford the best when it comes to bikes. So I'm willing to pay, I don't know what it was, eight, nine thousand bucks on a bike or something like that. He wanted to have the best of something in life. And if you couldn't do the car, might as well do the bike. Some people, that's the competition, right? 
the stuff that they have. Other people, it's sports, and maybe you're competitive at sports. You go, when we're playing, I don't like to lose, and I'm going to play really hard. Some people are just playing for fun, but they better get out of my way because I'm, I'm going for the gold here. I remember when, uh, when I got rollerblades, I, I went out with a bunch of guys. I was just in seminary, and a bunch of us got rollerblades, and we'd roll down behind Sunnybrook uh, Hospital in, in Toronto. And there was this long trail down through the park, and you could go out for miles, and we'd go like five, six miles out and, and back. But when you're coming down that hill, you're just ripping top speed. And, and, and I'm not competitive enough that I needed to be at the front, but I didn't want to be the last one. I didn't want to be at the ba back of the pack. Felt a little like George Costanza in Seinfeld. Do you remember that one episode where he says, you know, uh, he's talking about marks and he says, you know, a 3.1 GPA. Not, not falling behind, not showing off. Nice solid in the meaty part of the curve. Some people aim for the middle of the pack. Some are going to try to be the best no matter what and they have to beat everybody around them. Maybe you're not competitive in one thing, but you are in others. But if not in other ways, the thing is for our friend Habakkuk, he looks around and, and he does what we do sometimes when it comes to sin and evil in the world. He says, we're bad. Like these guys are pretty bad, God, but those guys are worse. These guys deserve punishment but they deserve more punishment. It's kind of the law of relative retribution. Like we, we do the comparison game and go, I'm a, I might not be the best in the world, but I'm not the worst. I might do some bad things, but you know, some people are worse than me. I'm not that bad in comparison. Now, usually when we're comparing, we give ourselves a little off the hook a little easier than we do other people, right? Like we grade ourselves a little easier than we do others for the things they do wrong. But we kind of have this idea that things should be fair and things should be balanced. And the people who are most evil should get the most punishment. And the, the people who aren't so bad shouldn't get, have it so hard. And sometimes when we look around and we see that, we go, it, it doesn't make sense sometimes that that we're trying to be good and yet things are going wrong for us and other people seem to be doing evil and, and they do okay. They seem to be getting by. And it's been that way since the beginning. Remember Adam, Adam when he was confronted with having eaten the apple, he says, well, uh, Eve's worse than I am. She gave it to me. She ate it first and she told me to eat it. She encouraged me. She just did it on her own. Like she's really bad. We expect God to mete out that punishment based on the standard uh, so that, you know, anybody worse than us should get punished. But we're pretty much the line, right? Us and better than us should be fine, but people who get punished should be people who are a little worse and a lot worse than us. And when it doesn't work out that way, we get a little sad and we get a little upset and sometimes we confront God with, God, it, it isn't fair. How come it's not fair? And I thought you were a just God. And when we feel that things aren't fair, we can complain. The Bible calls that lamenting. 
being sad at the state of the world, being upset that things aren't fair, things aren't right, things aren't just. Evil doesn't get punished, and good doesn't always get rewarded. And there's a whole history through the Old Testament in, in the book of Job or the book of Lamentations. Or even in the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're prayers of lament to God, saying, God, how come? Why is it this way? Isn't it sad that the world looks the way it does and that people treat each other the way they treat each other? But there's a difference between lament and, and, and good lament, righteous lament, and being sad about those things and complaining or whining. But what's the difference between lamenting and, and just complaining, just whining about stuff? And here we have the perfect example in Habakkuk. We're told that he's a prophet, he's a man of God, he's speaking for God, he's received this burden from God, and when he reflects it back to God, God tells him, you know, it's worse than that, and it's wider than that, and kind of turns up the volume on the problem with evil in the world. And so God says to him, this is what I'm going to do, and you never believe it. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And, and here's, it's very instructive how Habakkuk responds to that. He starts off by saying, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you've sent this ba these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. You notice he calls God by all kinds of different names there. He says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, O Lord, our rock. And so he calls him by, by six different names and says, look, God, this is who you are. This is how I've experienced you. This is what I know about you. You're not just somebody who can put up with that. You're not a God, God who's unfair and unjust. And so I, I, I struggle with understanding why you would do it that way. But when he raises his question, he first starts off by saying, God, this is who you are. This is how I understand you. You're my God. You're my rock. You're the Holy One. You're the eternal one. Like you've got this entire perspective. So God, when I'm raising my question, I'm raising it to you because I know who you are. And I see a disconnect between there, but, but I, and I've got questions about that, but I need to understand. And you're the one I'm coming to to understand. And I think that's very instructive for us. What he's doing is he's trying to figure out what the question is and why. He says, as a prophet, he doesn't read through God. God the thing is that he, as a prophet, he doesn't read God through the lens of his circumstance. He reads his circumstance through the lens of God. Do you understand what I'm saying there? He, he doesn't understand who God is by saying, look, there's evil around me and, and it just seems to be uh, getting out of control and nobody's stopping it. You must not be a very good God if you let that happen. He doesn't frame his question that way. He doesn't read God through the lens of his circumstance. He doesn't say, this is what I see, therefore this is, is the God. 
that must be. He reads his circumstance through the lens of his understanding of God. He says, I understand you this way, God. You're my rock. You're, you're my redeemer. You're the everlasting one. You're my God. You're my holy one. So God, when I look at the circumstance, I already understand who you are, and that affects how I look at all this stuff, and that's why I'm troubled by it. And then he says, O oh oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. You are not going to destroy us. Like I said, in some translation, it's, we will not die. So right at the beginning, he, he's about to lay out all these seven questions, and he says, I, you know, I don't understand, I don't get it, why would the evil get to triumph over people who are less evil? Like, we're bad, but we're not as bad as them. Why do they get to punish us? <coughs> and what are you going to do about them? And are they really going to get away with it forever? But before he launches into his questions, he says, the thing I know for sure is we're not going to die. I know you, God. I know what kind of God you are. And so whatever else happens, I don't believe that you will entirely wipe out your people. We're your witness to who you are in the world. And we're doing a pretty messed up job right now as an entire nation. But some of us really believe in you. And you are not going to wipe us out entirely. You're not going to let them run us over and kill all of us. You do not plan to wipe us out. You're everlasting, and you're not going to let us be wiped out so that we don't endure as a people. And so his complaint is that Babylon and maybe others will jump to the wrong conclusions about God and the universe. He's afraid that if all of this happens, and if the Babylonians just really take them over and and wipe them out and punish them, that people will get the wrong message about who God is. And so he laments the fact that they are just attacking like that. He says, these nets, they'll say that they, these nets are the, are the gods who've made us rich, they'll claim. He says, these people will think that they got rich because of their nets, because they're strong, because they're mighty in battle. They'll think that's the right way to do things and that they should continue that way. And other people will take that message. Whoever's strongest should just overpower the weak. And he says, I, 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 punishing us is one thing, but you don't want to send the wrong message, God. And so he struggles with what God has told him he's going to do, but he understands that God is going to punish them, and he accepts that. So he's got questions. He laments the situation. He doesn't want to see evil triumph. He doesn't want to be, see people uh, getting the wrong message and other people deciding that that's, that's real success and they should be evil too. Because he's concerned for God's kingdom and he's concerned for righteousness and he's concerned that things be set right. And so he says, how could this happen? And I, I don't understand, God, why it goes this way. And that's what faithful lament really is, is that you can be sad for the bad things that are happening, and you can raise your questions, but you raise them to a God that at least you trust and understand that he's good and that he is the Holy One and that he is our rock. He's the one we count on. 
He's the one we can stand firm on. So even when the, it seems like everything's falling apart, we can rely on him. There's a history of good lament in the scriptures. In fact, even Jesus laments on the cross when he says to God the Father, why have you forsaken me? Like I don't understand in a way. I feel this deeply, this sadness for what's happening right now, for the evil that's happening. And certainly there is no act more evil than having killed the Son of God. But faithful lament asks, God, how could you? Or unfaithful lament says, God, how could you? Faithful, faithful lament says, God, how could you? Unfaithful lament is, how could God? So we could say, how could God do this? But that's different than saying, God, I'm asking you the question because I trust you to give me a reasonable answer. I understand that if I'm going to find and make sense of this, I'm going to have to go to you. And so Habakkuk asks this question. He, he raises them to his God and his rock and his uh, holy one, knowing that God if there's any source that's going to set this right, it's going to be God. And he knows God knows the truth of what's happening. And so he asks the God that he trusts. And he doesn't want them to think that there's some other gods that make them rich, the gods of success and power. He wants them to know the one true God. And here's the thing is, is that Habakkuk, he expects to get answers. Like when he's asking these questions, he's not just throwing them out to the wind. He's not throwing his hands in the air and saying, I don't get it. This is crazy, but I don't expect to get any real answer. He expects God to answer his complaint. He's having a dialogue with the one he trusts, and he doesn't understand, but he's looking for understanding, and he's looking for understanding in the right place. He expects God to show up and to help him. He protests what's happening, but he still has faith. And so he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. That's the note he ends on. He starts with talking about who, how great God is and how he's my rock and he's my defender. And he's the one that we're looking to, and he's the holy one, and he's the eternal one. Like there's no getting past what a great God he is. And then he ends by saying, I will go up to my guard post. I've, I've asked my questions. I've laid it all out there. I've said to God what's on my heart, and I pour it out where I don't understand. And now I'll go up and I'll wait. I'll wait in my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says. And not if he will answer. He doesn't say, I'll wait to see if God is actually going to show up and say something to me. He says, I will wait. And see what the Lord says. And how he will answer my complaint. We can have all kinds of questions brewing in our minds and in our hearts. We can feel the weight of our circumstance and sometimes we're sure things aren't playing out the way they should. Sometimes there's evil in our world and injustice 
And if we look at it as believers, we shouldn't just go, well, that's just the world. That's just the way it is. We need to be troubled by that. Habakkuk carries that burden because God laid it on his heart. But in the midst of all those questions stirring about why things are unfair and why evil seems to be triumphing and why more evil is getting away even while we're being punished for what seem like lesser sins, he trusts that God will respond to him, that God is good and that God is holy and that God is his rock, that he can trust to keep his feet steady even when the storms roll in. And he trusts that God will answer his complaint. That God will show up. And God will act. And God will speak to him. And that everything that he doesn't understand will fall into place. Because he doesn't believe in God as an idea. Or a belief system. Or even a religion. Even the greatest religion. He believes in God as a real person. A powerful person who has all the power in the universe and is real and is active and cares about what's happening in the world. And so God broadens his vision and tells him to look further than just his own boundaries of his own country, to care about more than just his own people. And he says, I'm going to deal with all that. And sometimes it's going to seem like I'm letting more evil people get away with things while I'm punishing lesser evils. But I've got this all under control. And Habakkuk raises the question. He says, I don't understand what's happening, and I don't understand the answer. I believe you when you tell me we're going to be punished and, and, and Babylon's going to be raised up. I believe what you're saying to me, but I don't understand it. So he stands in that place of faith with us at times when we say, I don't understand what's happening and it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right. But I know who's in control and I know he's powerful. But more than that, I know that he's trustworthy. And I know he cares. And I know he answers. And if I don't understand, I will trust him and I will still believe in his goodness and I will wait on the Lord. And I believe he'll show up. And I believe he'll get involved. And he may not do what I expect, but he'll always do what's best. And he may not say what I think he's going to say. But I will listen for his voice. And he is the one that will help me make sense of everything I encounter and everything that troubles me. But he, because he's my God. And he's the Holy One. And he's the Eternal One. And he's my rock. He's my rock, and he's my Lord, and he's my God. Let's pray. God, this morning we gather as a group of people who are sometimes troubled by the world and the things around us that happen in it. 
And sometimes we can be tempted to just look away and say, there's so much trouble, we can't do anything about it. And so we start to ignore it and just concentrate on our own little world, our own community and our own family and our own nation. And yet you pull us out into the broader world and, and ask us to look like you did to Habakkuk. You, you put things before our eyes that are troubling, and yet you want us to look at it and to be burdened by it. But not just so that we can be weighted down, but so that we can turn to you and trust you and raise our questions to you, the one true God, the Holy One, the Eternal One so that we can trust in you when we are so burdened that it feels like we'll be crushed, that we can know with Habakkuk that we will not be destroyed, that you will not entirely wipe out your people. But you, you are a rock, and you are our God. And when we allow you to be, you are our Lord. Teach us to listen for your voice, to climb up like Habakkuk into our watchtower and wait until the Lord answers when we're troubled and when we don't understand and then when the world feels like it's so unfair that we can't see where your hand is at work or how you're going to straighten things out and bring justice. Help us to know when we don't see your means that we still see your character and we know you as the living God you are. And that we would put your faith, our faith in you at moments like that. Even as we raise our questions. And even as we go to you with our complaints and our struggles. Knowing that even when we don't have answers, that you do. And we can trust you fully. We pray these things knowing that you are a good God because you have shown yourself most fully in Jesus, our Lord. Amen.